what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Rapping with Reef Bum. I'm your host, Keith Berkelhammer, and today I have the pleasure of welcoming Matt Ferroni, who is the husbandry director and general manager at TSM Aquatics in New Jersey. TSM operates a very large aquatic superstore with over 10,000 square feet of saltwater fish and coral. Hey, Matt, welcome to the show. Glad you could be with Thank us. You. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as, as we uh, have in the past live streams, I encourage everybody to ask questions in the chat. We have, uh, we have Matt here, and, and it's going to be a great opportunity to, uh, to pepper him with, with some fish questions. I know uh, I've got a ton of questions as per usual, but hey, Greg, what's happening? Got uh, some of the uh, uh, viewers tuning in here. Great Bearded Reef Paul, thanks for joining us again. Marcel Rodriguez is here. But before we start chatting with Matt, I want to thank our new sponsor of the show, which is Marine Depot. And it does take a lot of work for me on my end to put the show together, a lot of time and effort. So I really, really appreciate Marine Depot being a supporter of the show. And I also want to thank all, all of you folks who have been tuning in week after week, and, and especially those who have been supporting me via the Super Chat. Very much appreciated. So anyway, now that we've taken care of some business, Matt, let's, uh, let's talk some, some reef and some fish tank stuff here. So I always ask my guests when I start off the show how they got into the hobby or the business. So, Matt, what's, what's your story? How did you kind of get started with all of this stuff? Uh, I mean, I've been an animal lover since I was a kid. Um, I've had you know, snakes and turtles and frogs, all kinds of reptiles, freshwater fish. Um, got into saltwater when I was probably entirely too young to have saltwater. It was a bit of a debacle. Um, got back into it for a bit in high school. Um, and then off to college, I went um, after I graduated college in, in 2007. Uh, I took a job at Adventure Aquarium, uh, which is a local aquarium in New Jersey. I was there in the water quality lab as I started um, for about a year and then kind of made my way up. Um, spent 11 years there and ended my career at the aquarium as an assistant curator. Um, and then I, I came over to TSM full time about two years ago. So uh, just talk to us, you know, Matt, in terms of your role at TSM, you're, um, you're the general manager and, and the, um, the husbandry director. What, what does that all entail? Um, so, I mean, it's basically um, just, you know, overseeing the, you know, the day-to-day -day operation. Um, we're a very small staff. Um, there's about five of us here, um, all of whom are, are biologists. Um, and then we all assume different roles throughout the day. So um, anything from ordering the fish to, you know, as far as the quarantine goes and setting the standards for our quarantines, um, adjusting protocols as needed, um, making any of those decisions. Um, and then I'm you know, doing sales and answering the phones and just about, just about everything. So I, I kind of happened upon you guys a few months ago. You know, it's, it's been interesting in terms of what's going on in the online fish world these days it you know when i when i first got into the hobby many many years ago i was uh you know doing a lot of my business with live aquaria and i think a lot of other folks were doing that they were um you know doing a lot of WYSIWYG online yeah. every day and and they had a reputation in terms of selling you know high quality fish and they had this great alive arrive guarantee the 14-day guarantee so it was very low risk 
for the customer, but they changed, you know, hands a number of times in terms of ownership and they've been restructured. And I think they were just recently sold again or changed hands again. And, well, you know, but for the last few years, it just hasn't been the same in terms of my experience with Live Aquaria. I, and I can't speak for others out there. And I've always been kind of hunting around for a reputable online retailer. And I, and I kind of read some really good feedback from you guys on, on Reef to Reef, I think it was. So I gave you a shot and, and I did, I did, I placed an order a couple of months ago and it was, it was awesome. I mean, you know, the fish that I got in that order arrived really, really healthy and, and seemed very uh, hearty. And unfortunately I had a, a major accident with my tank about six weeks ago i had an overdose of ammonium nitrate into the sump to spill it into the sump back back siphon i made a mistake and i had i had the um dosing container too high off of the off the floor and so it back siphoned in it killed nine of the 21 fish but none of the fish that i got from you guys perished so oh, good it's a you can't kill them <laughs> So, you know, I thought it was going to be, I, I thought it'd be very interesting to have, have you on the show because I think what attracted me to you guys was the, uh, the quarantining that you guys do. Could, can you kind of explain to folks what you, what you do in terms of the quarantine? And, and then after that, I think what we're going to do is we're going to show a video that, that you shot of, of TSM so folks can kind of get a better idea of what the, uh, the layout is all about there. But yeah, can you kind of get into the whole quarantining process that you guys do and how you kind of stand out from others out there? Sure. And, and I, I would agree with you on, you know, on some of the other online vendors having purchased from a lot of them as a hobbyist and seeing over the years the change um, for better or worse. Um, so we definitely recognize that there was space in the market for a higher quality product. Um, and ideally, we're trying to improve the hobby by having hobbyists start off on the right foot. Um, and getting healthy livestock right off the bat is certainly the best way to do that. So our standard quarantine, um, basically when the fish come in, um, we acclimate them to the system. We'll do um, a 200 ppm formalin bath on them for 45 minutes to an hour. Um, nothing we do initially is designed to really eradicate anything. Um, more or less, we're just trying to knock down the parasite loads. Um, to make them a little bit more manageable, um, just given the fact that you know one one of these parasites can turn into a hundred or thousands really very quickly. Um, so the formalin bath addresses some parasites. We follow that up with a freshwater dip um, again to try to you know, knock some stuff off, give them another rinse before they get moved into their actual quarantine system. Um, and then we get pretty aggressive with our treatment pretty early on. Um, we'll start ramping up copper within about 24 hours of the fish arriving. Um, and we'll also do our first dose of praziquana. So we'll run copper for a minimum of 30 days. In general, most of these fish tend to stay in quarantine for 35, maybe even 40 days. Um, and they're getting three rounds of praziquanta while they're over there. Um, and we do our prazi at 2.5 ppm. We do that once a week for three weeks. Now that is the that's the standard quarantine. Of course, other stuff can potentially pop up, um, and plenty of our customers can attest to the fact that if something came up outside of the normal quarantine and there was going to be an extension, um, you know, they were notified. Hey, this is what we're dealing with. We need to hang on to these fish a little bit more until we you know, get the situation worked out. 
Um, we also do a series of medicated foods. We'll do metronidazole, um, and we'll do Panicure as well to help you know eradicate any intestinal parasites. Um, again, that's that's a little bit more foolproof or a little less foolproof rather. Um, it's hard to to monitor, you know, short of getting fecal samples from every fish to know that you've you know you've completely eliminated anything. Obviously, if we're seeing any, if the fish is losing body mass, we're not putting body mass on. Um, certainly, indications that something may be going on internally. Um, but we really are trying to do as much as we can on this end to reduce any risk that the customer is going to get a, a fish that's not going to thrive for them. Um, now, that being said, no quarantine is 100%. There's always a chance that something's going to slip through. Um, and I get that question a lot from customers. Like, if I buy fish from you, do I have to quarantine them? And I tell them there should really be no need to do any additional medication on these fish. Um, the last thing I would like want to see is fish come from us having just been in copper for 30 days and then get subjected to another round just because. Um, so I, I usually advocate if you have a quarantine tank and you know it's it's sterile, there hasn't recently been another you know outbreak in that system where you've been treating anything, you know, fish in and observe them for a week or two. You know, you're essentially the last line of defense. So um, you know, if that gives you the additional peace of mind then that's great. Um, but again, in general, I think the better majority of our customers just pop the fish right in their display tanks. Um, seems to have been working out just fine. Do you have different lengths of quarantine or, or different types of quarantine depending on the fish, or you pretty much use a standard process for every fish that comes through the facility? Yeah, it is, it is standard regardless of the species. It is, it is the same quarantine. Um, you know, there's a lot of different quarantines out there now and tank transfer methods and you know, this treatment and that treatment. Um, this is a quarantine that, you know, I'm comfortable with. Um, it's one that you know, I've used in my professional career for, you know, the past decade. Um, we're using testing equipment, equipment that I trust that, that is accurate, um, good quality reagents. Um, it's a copper that we blend in house. Um, so there's you know, quality control on that as well. Um, really pretty pleased with the way our quarantine works. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm less inclined to, to change something that's, you know, that's working. If it's not broken, you know, don't fix it more or less. Um, and that's not to say the other, other types of quarantine are any more or less effective. Um, I kind of like at least in our situation, um, to be able to keep these fish moving through the quarantine process in a predictable manner, we, we kind of have to stick to that. We don't have the luxury necessarily of, you know, waiting to observe these fish for you know, two or three weeks to see what happens. Um, again, we're not quarantining one fish at a time. Some of these fish, can, you know, systems will have 150 fish in there. Um, so we put a lot of fish at risk if we don't get ahead of the game. Right. Um, so it's it's basically it's a standard quarantine. And like I said, if something something obscure pops up, you know, we we address it however we need to. But um, you know, you hear a lot. You can't you can't treat grasses with this copper. You can use this copper. You can't treat them at all. Hit them with fluorocarbon. Don't hit them with fluorocarbon. There's a lot of you know a lot of back and forth as far as that goes, which I think you know leads to some confusion with hobbyists too. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with the ability to accurately even test 
you know, your copper levels. How much of this um, anecdotal stuff is because, you know, potentially the copper level is too high. If we're, you know, using a copper test where we're matching colors, um, I mean, I don't see color the same, same exact way you do. And it, it just, it creates a lot of variables. Um, I mean, that Anna checker has only been out for a couple of years, but it, it was nice to finally have a, a hobbyist level, um, you know, digital number to, to look at, um, to be able to you know, keep track of your copper that way. So, I mean, we're super thorough with our testing. Every system gets tested daily. Um, if we're doing a water change on that system, um, you know, prior to the next edition of, of Prozzi, um, you know, it gets redosed for copper. It gets retested in the afternoon. If the copper level ever falls below a therapeutic level, we restart the clock. Um, it's rare that that happens. If it does, it usually happens very early on because um, no, no quarantine is the same even as far as, you know, the copper goes. Um, every system responds differently um, from, from one quarantine to the next. It could take a little bit longer to get the copper up to level. It could, you know, get absorbed or broken down by the bacteria in the system faster. So, and it's something we have to stay on top of. So we're, we're testing, you know, 14 systems a day. Um, I mean, that we blow through reagents. I mean, I, I'd imagine it, so, it sounds like you guys have a very, very comprehensive quarantining process. And, and I'd imagine that that is, um, it's probably not cheap in terms of, bringing in fish and then having them at the facility for that long of a time, you know, not being able to turn them around to, yeah. um, to realize revenue on the fish that you're bringing in. So can, can I assume that that's why a lot of other vendors out there might not be doing as comprehensive a quarantine process because it's a costly process? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we probably spend a thousand dollars a month on reagents alone. Um, probably another thousand in food. Um, I mean, it's, you know, might as well charge the fish rent while they're here. Um, I mean, they, and again, it's not just, it's not just the medicated quarantine that we're doing. Um, I mean, it's, these fish are being conditioned for the entire time that they're here. Um, we're not sending any fish out if they're not accepting prepared foods. Um, we'd rather lose them here than ship them to a customer, um, and have them have issues, you know, with these fish. So Mike Johnson is asking a question, and I, I kind of had a similar question. Um, his question is, how does the order process with TSM work? Are you ordering a specimen up front or just buying ones already out of QT? So we have, if you go on the website, you'll see there's a category for fish that are available now. Um, and what that ends up being are, are fish that haven't sold out through the, the pre-order process. There's another another tab on that website um, that it's you know pre-order fish and basically what that means if it's listed as pre-order those fish are currently in the building they are in quarantine um, and then we you know give you the projected end date for that quarantine period and then we'll set up shipping afterwards um, and you can you know, if you place your order you can continue to add to the order you can buy fish that are available now buy fish that are in quarantine have them all shipped out together makes it a little bit more cost effective that way as well um, if there's something you're looking for that you don't see on the website you can always call us or give us a shoot us an email um, if it's something that we can feasibly get we will um, there are certain species we just we don't get we don't see um, we're not going to string you along trying to get something that we're you know fairly certain we're not going to be able to, to get a hold of um, but I mean, we're pretty easy to work with in, in that respect. 
do you guys um, try to stay away from fish that are um, really expert expert only, very, very difficult to keep? Are, are there certain species of fish, you know, that um, just do not do well in home aquariums? Um, I mean, there are plenty of things that, that don't do well in home aquariums or you really don't have any business being there. Um, you know, for a lot of times it's just size-related issues. You know, you're buying a little, you know, two-inch, three-inch naso tank. At the time, you got a 40-gallon tank, and that seems okay. And if you've got, you know, you don't have the ability to rehome the fish, you have, you know, no plans to, to upgrade the size of your tank. And it's all things that you can, you know, take into consideration, um, you know, what these these animals are going to need in the long term. Um, I don't know if I answered your question. Just just started rambling there. <laughs> John Reef from Vermont. Hey, thanks, uh, man. Really appreciate the super chat. And uh, this comment is thanks for bringing TSM Aquatics aboard. He uh, he said that he is. Um, I'm your biggest advocate in Vermont. I'm 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 right up there, John. I'm I'm uh, I'm a big advocate of these guys. But uh, you know, yeah. Thanks for the uh, for the super chat. He's. Um, says only good things about you guys and um the herm 14 made a comment i think we already covered this does a medicated quarantine differ with the type of fish say surgeon tangs from angels or is it all the same and i think you pretty much answered that question it's all the same right yeah and as far as back to your previous question that i just talked over um no i mean we we really give a go at, at just about anything there are certainly fish that give us you know give us a run for our money with the quarantines um, and you know, a lot of these fish that are considered expert only on other websites um, also tend to, to avoid any guarantees that those other websites might offer on any of their other fish. Um, you know, so if you're, you know, you're buying a fish from us, whether it's expert only or not, um, I mean, you're, you're guaranteed to be getting a, a very healthy specimen. All right. I, um, I promised we would roll the, uh, the clip that you uh, shot for us, uh, Matt. So let's, uh, let's take a look at the, the tour of TSM Aquatic, sure. Sure. Your, uh, your dime tour here. It's about four minutes long. And then once we're um, done with that, we'll, we'll come back and talk some more. So let's, I'm going to roll that tape. So we'll start in our water quality area. Um, it's pretty straightforward, you know, pH meter, do some titrations to test for alkalinities, um, calciums, magnesiums, and of course we do our you know, daily copper testing on all of our systems to make sure that we're you know maintaining minimum therapeutic levels. Um, we'll head out here to quarantine. Quarantine is actually uh, pretty empty at the moment, um, which is good. Uh, it means we've got more fish coming, and I imagine by the end of this week we'll have about 500 more fish in the building, um, and we'll continue to bring them in over the next week or two until quarantine is full. Um, a little glimpse of what we have at the moment. Um, so there's 14 individual quarantine systems, um, each totaling about 350 gallons on average. Um, different configurations, a lot of 8-inch cubes, some 12-inch cubes mixed in for some of the bigger fish. Um, we've got our coral system in the middle of the building. It's two 800-gallon raceway systems, um, and then that smaller frag system in the middle. 
um, and then we'll move over to the sail system here. Once everything finishes quarantine, um, the fish will reside here until they are shipped out. Um, this system is about 6,000 gallons. Um, we left ourselves a little bit of room to expand. If you see any bags floating in the tanks, um, that's just water temperature acclimating. Those are fish that are going to be getting shipped out today. So we'll do a little bit of a stroll through and see if we spot anything that looks particularly nice. Um, the majority of the fish in this system are actually sold. They're just awaiting ship out. Um, let's see what we got here. Some purple tangs, blue line cleaner asses, four line cleaner asses, uh, some coal tangs. Here's a nice crosshatch trigger. Another crosshatch trigger. Koi tang. Some liar tail antheus down there. few more coal tanks here. Once these guys are gone, they are gone. It's a personifer angel here. Got a brown. Large Red Sea sailfin tang. Regal angel. Moorish idol. Another persona for here. It's a Japanese golden hawkfish. Yellow tangs. Some nice magnificent fox face. A couple banded angels. Maculatus Antheus and Spot Breast Angel. Achilles. Gem Tang. Gray Angel. <coughs> and we're back. Very cool. Thanks, Matt, for that tour. Guys, uh, guys no are waiting on a lot of fish. Yeah, um, we, we got, should be quite a few rolling in. We actually, one of those systems is already full from the time that, you know, I, I shot the video this morning for you. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll start loading up pretty heavily again. There should be a lot of stuff popping on the website over the course of the next week or two. Uh, a lot of people have been itching for some new inventory. It's, it's on its way. Um, it's kind of the downside when the quarantine, we fill up all of quarantine at the same time. It's basically a month before new stuff starts showing up. Well, I've got, uh, let's see, I've got, I think I got a pair of flame hawks that uh, are going to be coming in. Some, some of those uh, tail antheus. And a couple of chromas to replace my uh, deceased. And I know uh, John yes. Reef of Vermont says got a new order coming in in a few weeks and can't wait. So 
Gonna have to be patient, John. We we got a few more weeks to go. <laughs> so during the um, during the video, Matt, we were kind of talking about where you guys um, get your fish from, your suppliers. Can you talk a little bit about that in terms of you know the type of supplier that you use? Yeah, so the majority of our shipments, uh, there's really one U.S. wholesaler that we use primarily. Um, they're one of the smaller ones. Um, they do a lot of a lot of pre-quarantine or conditioning on their end before they even make their fish available. Um, and that supplier works a lot with public aquariums as well. The quality of their product is, is really pretty, pretty apparent um, compared to some of the other larger lives that are out there. Um, and after that, we're basically importing directly. Um, you know, it, it's nice to deal with, with the source, have fewer hands, um, you know, on the fish, um, shorten, shorten the entire supply chain as far as that goes. Um, we don't have to worry about fish fizzling out or, you know, wasting away for weeks at a time. If they're not eating between the time that they're collected to the time they make it to, you know, the wholesaler to the time they're then shipped to us. Um, you know, shortening that entire chain seems to be most beneficial to the fish. So, um, Paul Greybeard Reef is saying, and, and uh, thank you, Paul, for uh, for asking folks to do this. We um, hit if if you guys are digging what you're watching here, hit that like button because it will get recommended and more people will find the live stream. So, hit that like button if you haven't done that already. Uh, Fragile Reefer is asking, does TSM deal only with wild collected fish and their disease, or is this the same process done to aquacultured fish? Is aquaculture less infected or just different diseases? Um, in general, it should be less infected, um, but it's not a guarantee depending on how they're being cultured and where. Um, are they in open water? Um, is it being done in, you know, in a sterile, you know, environment um in any case we we still subject even our captive bred fish to our quarantine um and that's more or less for our own peace of mind because eventually we have to clear that quarantine system out and we've got to move them into our sales system where everything else that has been treated is held um so we're not necessarily comfortable you know risking um you know all of that other inventory um on the basis that none of the captive breadfish are coming in with anything. And again, it should be, it should be very low, um, very low risk, but we're not going to take a chance on it. What, what are some things that folks can do to not stress out fish that they're purchasing from you folks? I mean, I always, uh, seems like the size of the tank is one thing that could really cause some stress with, with fish. So, do you guys ever, um, you know, try to pass along advice in terms of having the appropriate size tank for the species of fish being purchased? For sure, yeah. I mean, if if, if customers, you know, everyone seems to be pretty pretty open to our feedback. Um, you know, and there are cert certainly people who who want what they want, um, and you can you know you can try to steer them one way or another. Um, I would prefer to talk someone out of something that I didn't think was going to work with, you know the the livestock they've got in their system, or it's not going to work for the size of their tank. Um, I'll happily help them find something that may be comparable to what they were looking for. It's going to be a better long-term fit. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not on. I don't push push fish on people just just to make a sale. 
So we got a couple things going on in the chat. Hey, Paul, man, thank you so much. Great Bearded Reef for the uh, for the super chat. Thanks for the great streams always. Thank you, Paul. Um, so a couple of um, more comments and questions that uh, producer Reef, how do you guys go about cycling or keeping media cycled for fish? Um, those, those systems are, they run constantly. Um, you know, breaking a system down and sterilizing it is something that we, we can't do after every quarantine batch. Um, we do have, have had a bio farm you know, running um, and that would get, you know, slightly clean biological if you need it in a pinch, if you're having, you know, ammonia spikes for a system that's got a heavy bio load on it. Um, but that's like another reason why we can't feasibly do a, a tank transfer method type of quarantine. We would need twice the amount of systems, um, you know, that we currently run. So an, another comment from Justin Carpeel, hopefully I pronounced that correctly, Justin. Have uh, and the question to Matt is: uh, Have you ever had an Ebolai mimic tang? Saw one a few weeks back and fell in love. I'm I'm not sure I've ever seen one of those. Um, we we tend if we get them, it'll be out of Sri Lanka. Um, I do order them quite frequently. I don't get them very often, um, so certainly something that we're after. Um, another comment here. Are, are they, uh, so I, I'm, I'm just watching uh, the comments here in terms of what Justin is saying. Are, are, do they uh, have any, uh, are they aggressive fish towards other tangs or are they just um, kind of like any other tang that you have to be careful about? It's, it's with any fish. I mean, they all, they all got their own personalities. No two tangs, you know, act exactly the same. You could have a model citizen or you could have a, a complete terror all within the same species. So, you know, it's always, it's always a risk adding, adding anything new to an established system. So I, I got some questions for you, Matt, in terms of food and, mm -hmm. and what would you recommend in terms of a good diet for any fish? You know, it's just kind of like a general food that, um, you know, folks should, should think about in terms of feeding their fish. I mean, I know tangs are herbivores and so you should certainly, think about feeding them, um, you know, greens in, in their diet. But, uh, you know, in general, what do you like in terms of fish food out there? What, what would you recommend? So I think a variety is important. Um, and you get bored eating the same thing every day, too. Um, we feed on our end. Um, we use a lot of Hikari products, um, Hikari mysis, Hikari spirulina, rich brine shrimp. Uh, we use P.E. Calanus. Um, PE mysis. We use all, a lot of the LRS products. Um, we also use um, well, the New Life Spectrum pellets. We use TDO Chroma Boost pellets. Um, what else do we throw in there? We also use um, Missouri, which tends to cater to the public aquariums and, and zoos for their different lines of feeds. Basically, it comes as a dry powder. You, you add water to it. And it uh, basically forms a more or less of a, a hard gel. Um, and we can use a cheese grater and, and grate that up. And that's great for, for getting medications into fish um, versus just food soaps. We could also mix vitamin C um, into that, that product as well. So in addition to the vitamins that they're getting naturally in the food items we're providing, um, we are adding you know, other vitamins and minerals um, to those mixes as well. What about like homemade do-it-yourself 
uh, food blends. You know, I, I, I make my own fish food and sometimes I'll feed it. I think I, I, I get, um, sometimes I get a little cyano if I, if I put too much of that stuff in there, but you know, I'll go to the supermarket, I'll buy some cheap seafood. I've got a, um, you know, a meat grinder and I'll just put a bunch of scallops and shrimp and mussels and, uh, whatever other kind of cheap seafood I could find. But I think I've read that sometimes that stuff can kind of be heavy or at least contain some iodine. I'm not sure if that's correct or not, but I mean, it, it really depends if, if you're, you know, if you're using things like Creole, they naturally have, you know, iodine in them. Um, you got to just be more careful of, of where you're sourcing this stuff. I mean, you never know what it's been exposed to. Um, but again, you're not going to get a, a fresher product than if you're, you know, you're going to the, the market yourself and, and picking that stuff out. Um, I don't really see it, any harm in it. And, you know, in public aquariums, that's, you're basically buying restaurant grade seafood. Oh, really? uh, and that's what's being fed out to the fish. So again, the more variety, the better, the more nutrition you can get into these fish, the better. Um, I mean, the better their diet, the, the healthier they are, the more resistant they're going to be. Um, even if you do have a, a parasite breakout of some sort, um, you know, healthier fish will certainly fare better um, than one that's been struggling all along. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll feed, you know, brine shrimp cubes, mysis shrimp cubes, I'll feed the uh, the pellets and um, you know some nori, and then maybe every once in a while I'll do the homemade food blend. But I try to I try to like feed my fish four times a day. I mean, is there a number of times per day that you think is optimal in terms of feeding the fish? Um, I mean, four is a lot. Good, good for you, good for you. Um, I mean, as long as your you know your system can can get those nutrients out of there, you know, by all means. A lot of these fish, I mean, in the wild they're not eating one large meal unless it's a shark. Um, you know, it's not typically one large meal a day and that's it. They're eating small meals throughout the day, antheists feed all day long. Um, you know, tangs spend their day grazing. So, you know, breaking, even if it's, you know, the same amount of food, but broken up in multiple feeds throughout the day. Um, I mean, different fish have, you know, faster metabolisms. So again, they, they need to be fed more and you could, you know, you could look at a fish and see, is it lacking body mass? And if so, you know, feed it heavier. Um, is this fish obese? Um, I mean, fish get hepatic lipidosis, fatty liver, basically. You can you can kill a fish just by overfeeding. Uh, so that's not great either. Um, but in general, I mean, you look at a fish and see if it's you know, seeing its spine, are you seeing its ribs. Um, put put some weight on it. Yeah, my fish are pretty plump. <laughs> um what about feeding like um garlic extract and and things like vitacam is that a good idea uh i mean there's always always stuff that comes out about garlic you know that, that contradicts something that you had seen or read previously um it can certainly entice some fish to eat um that's about all all we would use it for on our end um we don't use it as a disease prevention um it can help mask the flavors of, of some of the medications um you know that we may be putting into food so i mean it could help just in that respect making you know enticing the fish to to feed on these medications a little bit more um but that's about about all we do with garlic 
So there's a question from, from our sellers. I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure of the question. It, it's got to do with um, velvet. Just had, um, just had a, or, or I'm assuming it's a he, just had a purple tang dye of velvet. It went from y'all's tank into a sterile QT tank. Have you ever had anything get through, I guess, in terms of uh, velvet? Not that we're aware of. Um, I mean, we, we send out a, a whole lot of fish on a regular basis. Um, and you'll get, you know, you'll get the, the one, one person every month who had an issue. But if no one else from any of those, um, you know, orders or quarantines had a similar issue, you kind of have to, to wonder where, you know, where the problem lies. Um, and again, all of the fish that end up leaving our quarantine end up in this non-medicated sales system. Um, so if anything makes it through, it's going to pop up over there. So folks, I definitely want to encourage you to, to, um, ask your questions in the chat. We, um, I still have a bunch of species specific questions that I'm going to, I'm going to get into with, with Matt, but certainly put those questions in the chat and yeah if you have not hit that like button yet please do so and more people will find the uh the live stream so so matt let's let's talk about tank raised fish and i think the the, the one species that really always i'm kind of infatuated with is is clownfish and there's just so many different varieties of of clownfish out there these days that it's mind-boggling what um what do you guys do in terms of uh, clownfish? Do you do you have usually a, a lot of variety in terms of clownfish? Are you kind of like, um, you know, listening to what your customers are looking for in terms of clownfish? Yeah, it's it's a little bit of both. Um, so we'll, we certainly try to bring in kind of the regular, you know, the standard stuff and, and a fair amount of stock on, on some other items that people seem to be after. Um, if we start to get requests from, from customers looking for other stuff, you know, we'll, we'll bring in those varieties too. Um, I'm just not realistically going to bring in 200 varieties um, of fish. I don't want to have to sit on them, um, yeah. you know, and feed them for months and months and months if, if they're not going to sell. Um, but we certainly don't have any problem bringing stuff in, you know, by request if it's available. So if, if you wanted to get a pair of clownfish, is it necessary to buy a bonded pair or will the likelihood be that if you have a single and you put another one with it of the of similar, um, you know, variety that they will eventually bond or is that just not um, a given? It could be a bit of a crapshoot. Um, you know, if you have the ability to buy a bonded pair, that's, that's nice. Um, generally, um, you know, when, when customers are looking for a pair or seeing if we'll, if we'll get a bonded pair for them, you know, we'll usually take the smallest clown in the group and toss it in with the largest clown in the group. It's more likely that that smaller clown is still a male. The larger one may be a female. Um, let them go from there. Otherwise, I think the safest thing is, is really just to, you know, get two very young clowns um, and put them together. Inevitably, one, you know, one will turn female. You know, I, it, it's interesting. I had a I had a pair of clowns in one frag tank, and I had another pair of clowns in another frag tank. And and my plan was to put them in my new 225 gallon, you know, peninsula tank. So I did that about uh, two weeks ago. I I you know I I knew that there was a risk in terms of putting two different pairs of clownfish 
together in that tank. But, you know, I was hopeful that, that they would uh, kind of work things out, so to speak. And, it, and a weird thing has happened, and that is that um, both pairs which bonded together in the individual frag tanks have kind of like intermingled. Yeah. And, and they're, um, it's, it's weird. I, I can't explain it, but um, one of them was three, three of them chased one of them around for one day, just one, mm. one day. And, you know, knock on wood, they're all seemingly uh, living in harmony right now, but the pairs are not paired up. They're mm. just kind of like wandering around a little bit. Maybe at night they're, they're paired up, but um, is there anything that somebody can do to kind of like, um, you know, optimize the chances that multiple pairs of clownfish will survive in a larger tank? I was trying to like get them to bond with some coral in the, in the frag tanks. Yeah, but I mean, it'll it'll happen over time. Um, you may find you know two two clowns prefer an anemone, uh, two clowns prefer to to swim in your Duncan coral all day long, and you really piss that off. Um, you can't really you know you can't force nature in that respect. Um, but in terms of keeping you know keeping multiple clowns together. Um, in the same system, the more space, the better. Um, and again, captive in general, captive bred clowns tend to to do better, you know, in groups. Mm. Um, you then throw in a bunch of wild clowns together. Um, maybe a little anecdotal, but uh, one of the the first exhibits I, I had um, you know, at the public aquarium is a six hundred gallon exhibit. It was all, all bubble tip anemones. Um, and there were probably, you know, 30, 40, 50 different, different clownfish in there, oscillators, percolas, um, you know, saddles, uh, sedays, all, all kinds of stuff. Uh, and there was always, you know, chasing here or there. They all had their territories. They had their anemone, um, you know, they'd venture out to feed and then they'd go back. So, um, spaces and then territory habitats important. Yeah. It's, it's strange because I had a, um, I had a pair in my 187 gallon tank, beautiful, uh, pair of, um, Picasso. Oenix, is that how you pronounce that? O-N-Y? Yeah. Oenix. And so I lost one. I forgot what happened, but one of them didn't make it. So I had to um, add a second one to that tank and, you know, just kind of kept my fingers crossed that they would bond. But these two clownfish pretty much stayed in opposite corners of the tank. You know, they weren't like going at it or anything like that, but, um, and they were similar size, but they were just not really interested in one another for about a year and a half. And then all of a sudden I look in the corner of the tank and they're actually over a clutch of eggs. They, uh, they, 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 they laid some eggs and I was like shocked. And yeah. so, you know, then they started like hanging out together. I guess they hooked up. <laughs> they, uh, they started hanging out together and at night they'll sleep in the same coral, which is a Ganyapora. Cool. But during the day, they each host a different Ganyapora. I can't figure it out, but it's kind of cool. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah, I don't know. I love clownfish. So um, let's talk about Antheus. I love I love Antheus, and I think they're probably one of the more beautiful fish out there. They're like a shoaling fish, yeah. and and it's just very very colorful. What would you say is the um, the hardiest? species of, of antheus if you had to make a recommendation yeah i mean we we tend to do pretty well with with antheus on on our end it's hard anymore to 
you can say which ones are are hardier than others. There's you know certain species for sure that are that are more challenging. Um, I mean, liar tails, uh, Dysparanthias, uh, Ignitus, those guys all seem to be you know really really pretty hardy. Um, you know, square square spot Anthias or our tanks. Um, we do really well with our bimaculatus Anthias. Um, again, as long as these guys are getting fed pretty heavily, um, you know, it's not usually the, the diet that's an issue at that point. It's just it's just aggression within you know within that school. How how, uh, how often would you recommend you feed Anthias? How many times a day, and, and what kind of food do they like the most? Yeah. I would say at, at a bare minimum twice a day. Um, you know, if you do three times a day, it kind of goes back to you know the fact that in the wild they're eating a lot of smaller meals throughout the day. Um, if they're getting one or two larger meals that happen to be you know highly nutritious or higher in calories, um, they may not need all of those additional feedings. But in general, it's a, you know, it's a species or that have you know, faster metabolisms. You sure, certainly want to offer them um, food a bit more frequently than, than you would necessarily your other fish. Is, is it true that antheists need a good amount of current? Do they uh, do better in a tank that has good flow? I mean, they tend to be found in, in some pretty, pretty high current areas. Um, that's not to say that they, they won't do well in, in lower flow environments. Um, but it's, I mean, it's also nice to see them. A lot of, they'll use that current, that incoming tide to feed. Um, so I mean, if you've got good wave action in your tank and, you know, you, you pour your food right in front of your returns or your, your vortex and you'll, you'll see them. They, I mean, they, they dart right into that current for the food, but it's not much different than any of the other fish, honestly. What, um, what would what would you say the minimum size tank is that you should have for an anthias? Um, again, it, you know, d depending on the species, obviously you're not going to put a, a square spot anthias in a 20 gallon tank. Um, they get way too big, way too fast. Um, I, at a minimum, probably a 40 gallon tank, and that really depends on how many anthias you plan on keeping in there. Um, I mean, the appeal of an anthias, like Chromus, is it you know you can keep these fish in groups and it's it's nice to see these big schools swimming around and and behaving you know somewhat naturally in a captive environment um and i usually recommend when people are asking well how many anthias should i get should i just get one should i get two should i get three um i typically recommend you know purchasing four or more and it's, it's not to sell additional fish um there's a hierarchy that has to be established, and in, until it does, there's there's usually quite a bit of aggression. So, having more fish um, in that school helps to disperse some of that aggression until the hierarchy has been established. And you can always add additional females to the group afterwards. Um, and then you've always got that subdominant female who's just waiting for that male to croak so she could take its place. Um, it's it's just the way it works. Um, but in general, I mean, for that that natural effect, it's nice to see schools of antheists yeah i love them um blue reef is asking why fat heads are hard to find and got expensive so well yeah i guess uh any uh reason for that i mean a lot of stuff tends to be tends to be highly seasonal um and it's not even that the, the fish themselves are only available at a certain time of year um you got to take the fact that 
there are divers that have to get into the water to collect these fish. And, you know, certain times of the year, you know, collecting sites may be inaccessible for, for one reason or another. Um, we're starting to see the, the sunburst anthias again. We actually have some uh, due to arrive tomorrow. Um, so they'll be popping up on the website shortly. Um, this is about the time of year we start to see them in numbers. We should start to see things like Ventralis anthias again soon. Um, you know, your mass swallowtail angels should start popping up again as well. Um, but just this past year in general, um, it's, it's kind of been a crapshoot getting fish. Um, you know, COVID has affected a whole lot, um, aside from freight costs and it's mm. the people's ability to actually get out there and collect. And it's just, it's been, it's been challenging. So you mentioned Ventralis um, anthias. I, I tried those years and years ago, and I did not have any luck. Those things are gorgeous. I mean, they are gorgeous fish, but they have a reputation for being really, really difficult to keep. Do you guys have any secrets in terms of, um, you know, obviously you put them through that pretty stringent quarantine process, but is that a, um, you know, once they make it through that, are they going to, are the chances of survival in the home aquarium going to be much greater versus getting them from somebody that is not going to have such a rigorous quarantining process? I mean, certainly if you're starting off with a, you know, a quarantine condition specimen, you're going to be better off. Um, ventralis are notoriously aggressive with one another. Um, the longest we've been able to keep them successfully is, is in numbers, um, you know, groups of 20 or 30 or more. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Um, you know, when we that's going to be pretty costly. <laughs> yeah. So I'll send you a bill and we'll, we'll, we'll get, get to work on it. What is the, what is um, the, what, what does a Ventralis go for these days? Uh, I mean, I, previously they were retailing at, at probably $300 a piece. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know what they're even going to go for it this year. I haven't seen any available yet. Yeah. Um, they're pricey. Um, but yeah, they're, that's a species that if you want to keep successfully, um, keeping them, keep one or, or keep them, keep them in numbers because they, they do beat the hell out of each other. Huh. Interesting. And it doesn't matter in terms of male, female, they'll just, uh, they're not picky that way. They'll just, yeah, I mean, they, the male is usually okay. Um, but again, there's always, there's always usually another female or two in the group just, just waiting for him to go. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's harsh. Mother Nature is harsh. Yeah, women. <laughs> what about um, Purple Queen Anthias? They're really cool, and whenever I see them out there for sale, they're really cheap. And is that because they're, they're just not, um, you know, hardy? And, and uh, I mean, I don't want to say they're a throwaway fish, but are they a fish that should be kept in home aquarium? Probably not. Those, those are one of the trickier species we deal with. Um, Purple Queens, um, Avanci, you know, are pretty challenging as well. Um, they just don't seem to take to, you know, prepared diets as well as, as some other species do. I mean, they're beautiful fish, um, certainly not, not as, as hardy as some of the other species. Borbonius anthias. I, uh, I dig those things. I, I, I've, um, I've had at least one you know, years ago, but again, it's a, it's a pricey anthias and I'm assuming yeah. that's because of how difficult it is to collect them because they're uh, a deep water fish. In deeper water. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're certainly, certainly pricey. Um, and they get more expensive every year. Um, but they are tanks. Those fish are, are right. relatively, really, really hardy, relatively indestructible. Um, 
but not really a, an, as far as atheists go it's it's not an atheist that you're going to keep in schools they tend to be a bit more you know a bit more solitary a bit more reclusive um and they do get pretty sizable pretty quickly let's um let's switch gears here and, and if anybody else has any questions about atheists we'll uh, we'll go back to them and 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 for sure if you guys folks have any questions specific to uh, any fish put it in the chat here i'm going to kind of keep rattling through my uh my list here let's talk about butterfly fish and, and i guess one thing we haven't really talked about is um you know reef safe versus non-reef safe you know i guess antheas are all, all going to be reef safe fish but butterfly fish are not going to be all reef safe fish and in fact there's not a lot of options for uh, reef safe butterfly fish but i did pick up for pyramid butterfly fish from you guys and i love those fish because they you know they'll school together and i have not had any issues with them nipping at any corals they seem to just kind of like swim in the middle of the water column and i think they're really a neat cool fish but you don't see them a lot yeah they're they're hard to get it and it's a fish that's in high demand um i mean if, if we listed a dozen of them on the website tonight they'd be sold out by the end of the evening um so it's you know we, we can never get them in the numbers that that we hope to we like bringing them in. They tend to be really hardy. You know, again, it's a really safe butterfly, um, probably even more so than than even a copper band. And it's it's nice to be able to, to again, it's another option for a, a reef safe schooling fish. Uh, they're pretty. They've got they've got good personalities. Um, but again, any any fish has the ability to you know to nip out a coral and do some damage here or there if it feels compelled to do so. Any other? Um butterfly fish besides the pyramids that you can have pretty good confidence of being able to keep in a mixed reef? Um, other than the copper bands, I mean, the marginalis, which is essentially an you know, Australian copper band butterfly. Um, you know, it, it depends on, on what species of corals you're keeping. Um, you know, a lot of these, some of these corallivores, you know, they're going after SPS and there's, there's no way around it unless you're keeping LPS. Um, and then there are other, you know, other butterflies who, who may, may be more inclined to, to pick at your LPS, things like your acans. Um, there are butterflies that may find that your, you know, zoanthids taste like Skittles and have a feel very on them. Um, so it, you can really, you can, you know, try to select the, the species you're keeping of fish based on, you know, the species of corals you want to keep. Um, but it seems to be everyone's preference to have somewhat of a mixed reef. Yeah. Um, you know, so they like to be dominant or they, they like their soft stuff. Um, and that's, you know, that's cool, but yeah, kind of got to weigh your options and, and consider the livestock you're going to be bringing in. Yep. Yep. So Reef the Sea Forever is asking, do pyramids jump? In, in my experience, I've never had one jump. I don't know if they're known as jumpers, though. Uh, anything. Anything can jump. So if if this is, uh, I, I remember, you know, Austin gave a pretty pretty good lecture on this, too, but you should absolutely have, have a lid on your tank. Um, anything can jump. Uh, I, you know. Clownfish will jump. It doesn't take much to spook these fish. They don't have to go very far from the surface of the water to the edge of your tank. Um, you know, the light coming on too quickly, somebody walking by the tank, um, just getting chased by a tank mate. It's, I mean, anything can jump. Yeah. Startle them. So Josh Muldoon has got a, um, 
a question. I don't know. Are you, uh, are you looking at the chat there, uh, Matt? Because there's no freaking way I'm going to be able to pronounce this uh, species of fish. But are the Jean Randalia nigros very ras reef safe? I, I, you know, I, I couldn't figure out the, the last part of that. But uh, yeah, um, I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, in, in general, most, you know, most fairy wrasses and flasher wrasses are, are reef safe. So let's, um, let's pivot. I saw somebody asking about uh, mass swallowtail angelfish, Japanese mass swallowtail angelfish, and I think you did mention that they're going to probably be coming around again pretty soon. So that's that's one species that I've found of um, angelfish that are pretty reef safe because they're um, they they like to swim in the middle of the water column and they they I mean my experience is I've never really seen them picking anything maybe they'll pick at a rock here and there but they're not coral nippers. Yeah, in general, all the all the genocanthus species um, angels are, are probably among the most reef safe, more so than than any of like the dwarf or pygmy angels. Um, and again, there's always a chance that, that something is, is going to nip at a coral. Um, but I would, I would be more confident adding one of them to, to my reef tank than I would, you know, a flame angel, um, or a coral beauty. Bellus angels are, are similar, right? They're in that yeah. same you know, oh. genus. Yeah. Yep. Um, so in terms of getting back to the Japanese mass swallowtail angelfish, I think you and I have talked about this. I've, I've, uh, I love those fish. I think they're so cool. I think the male is beautiful. Beautiful. And yeah. I've never had any luck trying to convert a female to a male. I've always found it tough to find a male. Or, well, actually, I found it tough to find a, a pair, a male-female pair. So what I've been told is to get three females and one of those females, the most aggressive one, will eventually turn male. Is is that, you know, kind of like your best shot at getting a male masked uh, swallowtail angelfish? Yeah, um, you know, if you if you can't get a male, um, you know, multiple females are, are usually your best bet. It's still not a guarantee. They may be happy hanging out as females for a very long time. Um, but generally speaking, you know, a larger number of, of females in the group is going to increase your chance that, that one of them is going to decide it, it wants to change to a male. Yeah, my last attempt to do that, I, I put three females in, and uh, the most aggressive one killed one of the, uh, the females. And then the, um, the second one just eventually you know, didn't make it. So now I still have the one female who is, uh, I love the fish, but... The experiment didn't work. Could, would would I be able to, you know, add two uh, females to that uh, tank? It's a 187 gallon tank, or is that just asking for trouble? I mean, it could it could really go, it could go either way. Um, I'd love to be able to say, yeah, you know, to throw them in there, and you know, it'll, it'll work out perfectly. Um, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Um, you may get a pair, and they may want nothing to do with the third one in the group, so you're gonna have to. Then work on getting that fish out of there. Um, so it depends on how much of a headache you want to have to deal with. Yeah, it, it is always, you know, kind of like a roll of dice no matter what you're talking about. And with angelfish, that's the case. You know, you mentioned flame angels. And I know a lot of um, folks, you know, have had success keeping flame angels in their mixed reefs with SPS and, and all that sort of thing. And, and um, I think some are not as 
concerned about polyp extension on SPS corals. So I think that's always a risk with with an angelfish is that they're going to kind of pick and, and, and what have you. So I guess the question is, can can the uh, SPS still thrive if they're going to be picked at or is it um, you know better to try these fish with an established reef versus having a whole bunch of frags you know in the tank yeah i mean it's, it certainly depends on you know on the size of of the coral you know in general again if you've got a system and you you've got five you know five half inch frags in there they're not going to be able to tolerate you know constant picking um if it's a much larger you know healthy colony um you know an occasional nip here and there is really not going to phase it um and it depends how, how quickly the, the corals in your reef are, are growing. Um, you know, if they're more prolific, then then they stand a better chance of being able to you know to take some some nipping here and there um, again versus these these little pieces. So let's talk about regal angelfish. That is that is my favorite angelfish. That is my holy grail fish. Well, I, let, let me let me uh, be more specific. My holy grail fish is a misbarred regal angelfish, and I found one from another hobbyist that I picked up for the uh, for the new tank, and it survived my disaster. Which, <laughs> like, wow, that was that was that was huge because I was freaking out during that time. So I didn't want to add that fish to a young tank with frags in it, you know, because yeah. I was concerned that it's going to be more prone to picking on and, and, um, killing corals that are not that established versus, um, you know, colonies. But I felt like it was such a rare thing to be able to find that, especially from another hobbyist that had um, great luck with it. And plus the person told me that it never picked on anything, including zoanthids, which really oh. shocked me. Because, you know, I think if you have zoas in your tank and you've got a regal angelfish, then you can pretty much say goodbye to those things. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these angels are, are feeding on sponges in the wild, um, you know, not necessarily, you know, targeting corals. Um, so they're not, you know, I mean, you see a lot of, a lot of people throwing a lot of questionable angelfish and butterflies into, into well-established reef tanks and it, it works out okay for them. Um, feeding certainly helps. Um, you know, if the fish are, are well fed, they're going to be less inclined to, to start looking for other avenues, um, you know, to satiate themselves. So I see Alex Correa is, uh, joining us there. Alex, thanks for, uh, for joining us there. And, and, um, he's got a question about a specific species of fish and, and, um, Matt, I'm going to direct you to the chat because again, I'm not going to be able to pronounce the, uh, oh, species no, of fish that, uh, he's asking about here. Um, so it would be great to hear from you about the um, begins with a P, hepatus. They have a tendency to develop head and lateral line erosion. Do you have any uh, thoughts on that? Do you know what he's talking about? Um, I'm not. I'm not seeing it there. Uh, as far as head and lateral line goes, um, you know whether we're talking about you know tangs. Um, is that what it was? Paracanthus hepatus. I think that's what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, a hippo tank. Hippo um, tank. Okay, Alex, so use the uh, use the general terminology for me because there's no way I'm gonna. Uh, it's going way over my head. All the scientific uh, stuff. So, so yeah, I wouldn't say that 
that hippos are any more or less likely um, to, to get head and lateral line erosion than any other tang. Um, and there are a lot of you know, ideas as to, to why this happens. Um, you know, it's been linked to, to copper exposure, poor water quality, poor nutrition, um, uh, carbon dust. Um, we'll see a lot of fish and you know, stress in general. So with all those things thrown at you, how do you know, how do you know what's the cause and how do you fix it? Um, we will tend to see a lot of head and lateral line develop during the course of the quarantine, whether it's the stress of the environment or it is the exposure to copper. What we find is that after the quarantine, when the fish are, are back in clean salt water, they've got more space to move around in their overall, you know, they're in a better environment. Um, they're still getting good nutrition. It does tend to resolve pretty quickly. Um, you know, we've seen fish that have had pretty severe head and lateral line erosion, um, almost completely resolve itself in, in two or three weeks, um, just after being moved out to that, that main. So it is, it is reversible to an extent. What about, um, I've got a purple tang that has got some fin rot. Is, is that something that can be treated if I was able to, um, fish that, you know, fish out of the tank is, is that something that, you know, that fish would have to be in a, a little quarantine tank and receive medication or is there something that can uh, potentially help that, you know, quick fix? It depends what, what the cause is. Um, you know, are, are you dealing with a, a parasite? Is it getting nipped at by other fish? Is it, is it chronic? What, I mean, what are you, what are you seeing in that respect? It's, it's not getting nipped at other fish. It's, um, it's, it's losing, you know, it's fins along the, uh, the dorsal and also underneath uh -huh. the body there. So it's, it's kind of, it's, it's like a pattern in terms of what it's losing, you know, yeah. in terms of um, fins. And it, it may have something, something bacterial going on. It may be worth trying to, you know, pull them out of there and, and doing a, you know, an antibiotic bath. I uh, just wanted to thank uh, Veggie TADT for that super chat. I really appreciate the comment. Is love TSM. The only place I get fish. Customer service is excellent. And uh, John Reef of Vermont is uh, seconding that uh, that comment. Says that's the only place he's gonna buy uh, fish for me. Uh, what else are we looking at here in terms of the chat? Um, what else did I want to? Just, just a reminder, folks. If if you want to, we're uh, we're at about ten after the uh, the hour, Matt. I want to be respectful of, of your time and, and not keep you uh, you know longer than you you want to be on on the uh, on the stream for. So, give me the high sign if you uh, if you need to uh, make an exit stage left. It's 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 your show. Right. Um, I'm cool to hang out for a little while. Okay, gotcha. So, <clears throat> um. Rasses. Let's talk about rasses. You know, they're, you've got reef safe and you've got not reef safe. You've got some that you keep within a sand, uh, you know, in sand beds. I, I think most rasses like a sand bed. What, what are your thoughts about keeping a wrasse in a bare bottom tank, but having a little um, bowl or container mm -hmm. of sand in the back for that wrasse. Is that something that's going to, um, you know, stress that wrasse out eventually? Is that, is that something that is okay to do in your opinion? Yeah, it's, it's not, it's not a, a bad idea. Um, if you're trying to provide things like leopard grasses or you know, any of those other wrasses, they're going to dive into the sand to sleep. Um, it's nice to provide it for them. Um, 
obviously that substrate is going to get kicked out of whatever bin you put it in. Um, so if, if you're going to get a, if you've got this bare bottom tank and it's pristine, um, if it's going to upset you to, to start seeing all this substrate you know, blowing around on a daily basis, you, you might not want to go that route. Um, but again, if you're, if you're trying to, to offer, you know, these rats as a, a natural place to sleep, not a bad idea. Um, but rats will they'll do okay even without that sand bed. I have a uh, Chiote leopard ras in mm-hmm. my 187-gallon uh, tank. Really cool fish, a uh, hard fish to find, and it was not eating probably for the first two or three weeks that I had it. But I think I had a pretty good pod population in my tank. Is is that something for that particular leopard ras you really need to have an established tank and a good pod uh, population for it to do yeah. well? I mean, if, if that fish is not coming to you already on a prepared diet, then yes, certainly, um, you know, live foods make a great option. Um, and those things are going to, they're going to forage naturally their entire life. Um, so you might as well, you know, give them some pods to feed on. Is, is that a fish that you guys get in every now and then? I just don't see those available for sale. I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah, we haven't seen them a lot recently. Um, we were getting them, um, you know, for a good stretch of time. Um, we haven't brought any in probably, it's probably been about a year. Oh, well, wow. and they're not, uh, they're not cheap either, right? No, no, that's another, that's another price of your fish. You're, you know, probably looking at upwards of, you know, $300. Yeah. But you know what? I mean, it's, it is a gorgeous fish and if you get a healthy one that's, uh, that's eating, then it's so well worth it. I mean, <laughs> You, you talked about putting you know covers on your uh, on on your tanks. You recommend it for fish jumping out. I um I'm not a you know I don't like the look of a cover, and and so I don't I don't use them. I actually bought a cover for the tank, and I didn't um I didn't put it on. But my my Chiote leopard ras has jumped out two times. I'm sure it has. <laughs> and um I thought after the first time it, it you know it was gonna learn and not do it again. So that's why. I bought the cover and then I'm like, nah, he's not going to jump again. But the first time I, I found him on the floor, he was, he was actually dried up a little bit and I put it in the tank and it survived. And then it jumped again when I was down in the room. So I saw it and I put it right back in the tank and, uh, yeah, knock on wood. It hasn't jumped, yeah, I mean, the, haven't jumped the third time. They, they have no idea that when they jump out of the water, they're not going to land right back in it. Um, <laughs> you know, your, your carpet is not something that was, you know, in the back of their mind when they took that leap. But it landed on, like, tile. How does it survive tile, you know? I mean, yeah, you'd, you'd be amazed. Um, you know, I mean, you think that's like you know, falling off the, the 10th floor of a you know skyscraper or something. They, they can take a beating. Um, not that that's ideal. So let's... Um... Let's talk about tangs and and yellow tangs now have become very expensive because of the ban on Hawaii. What um, what are you guys seeing in terms of that that ban on on um, fish that are you know from Hawaii? Is that uh, impacted things in terms of what you guys are selling and and do you see any hope of that ban being reversed? Um, I I have no no faith that it's going to happen anytime soon. We're not betting on it. Um, it would it would be nice if it did, only because that was one of the most well managed fisheries on the planet. 
Um, and to think that that could get shut down so quickly is it's scary for the hobby. Um, I mean, we, we got what we could before, you know, before the shutdown. Um, and that's, you know, once these fish are, are gone, um, you know, they're gone until they start you know, increasing captive, you know, captive breeding. Um, I mean, Biota hasn't released any more yellow tanks since their, their last available batch back in January. Um, I mean, they can only keep up with so much demand. It's only going to put more pressure on them, um, you know, to keep cranking these things out without, you know, without the wild um, you know, counterpart. Um, and they can't force these fish to breed any faster than, yeah. you know, than they're going to. Um, so it's, you're definitely going to see even the price of the captive bred yellow tanks is going to increase. Um, how much? I don't know. Um, but it's going up. Same with the uh, yellow eye cold tanks. Is that um, that fish is pretty pricey right now, right? Yeah, I mean any of the, any of the Hawaiian endemics or, or the fish that you know um, were even making their way from other areas through you know through the Hawaiian Islands, you know, coming to a collector or distributor there, um, stuff's not necessarily flowing like it was. Um, yeah, there are species you're not going to see once these flame rasses are. are gone unless hawaii opens back up you're not going to see flame rasses anymore um they're not no one's successfully captive bred them to my knowledge um and with those guys it's you know the, the females want to turn male almost as quickly as they can um they're they're challenged so i don't you know like i said short of short of hawaii opening back up you know, whatever flame rasses are on the market right now if you it's a fish you you got to have you, you, know, you might as well get it now because it's gone. Um, Potter's Angels. You're not going to see Potter's Angels anymore mm -hmm. until they start capture breeding them. Um, we actually, the last group of Potter's Angels that we got, uh, after we got them through quarantine, some of them actually went back to Hawaii to become part of um, some captive breeding projects oh, out there. Cool. Um, there was another group that we, we sent out. A couple, a couple larger batches of Potter's Angels went out to um, to hobbyists and industry professionals who were, were hoping to have success breeding them, and I, I hope they do. Um, it's an underrated angel. They're beautiful. Um, and they, you don't have one now, you're not getting one. Barbara, yeah, I think you answered Josh uh, Muldoon's uh, question about the uh, flame rasses available, being available these days. And uh, he's also saying that yellow tanks are now the same wholesale price as gem tanks in Europe. Who would have thought? Yeah, it sounds about right. Um, one more question I have for you about, um, well, a couple, two more questions. If you wanted to put a bunch of yellow tangs in a tank together, is the, is the best way to do it at the same time or any species of tangs? Yeah. Same time um, is always best. You know, typically you're going to add, if you're not adding them at the same time, you know, starting with the smaller species first or the smaller tangs first and adding the larger tangs later. Um, but yeah, the general rule of thumb is, is to try to get them in there at the same time. Um, you know, use, use food to distract them, turn the lights off, you know, when, when they're getting aggressive with one another, it's, it's bound to happen. You're not going to take three pristine yellow tanks, throw them in a tank together and not have someone get nipped, at least initially. Are, is there one species of tang that is a, a lot more aggressive than other species of tangs? Because um, 
I had a powder blue tang once mm. in my tank that um, it was like, probably like the last, one of the last fish that I added to the tank. And I'm pretty sure I had some other tangs in that tank, but this thing turned evil, you know, <laughs> after a while, it just like took over the tank and any fish I put in that tank, it, you know, not a tang, any kind of fish, it like blew up on, on the, uh, on the new additions. And I eventually had to get rid of that, uh, powder blue. And I have not tried another powder blue tang. I mean, is that, is that kind of a, a typical experience with a powder blue tang? Are they known to be that aggressive? Some of them can get very aggressive, you know, others again, or you could be, can be model citizens. Um, they're all a little bit different. Um, so whole tangs. Uh, I don't know that I've ever met a, a passive. So whole tang, they tend to be, Pretty aggressive from the you know the time they're you know, two inches until the time they're a foot. Um, that's a fish with an attitude, um, and um, it'll get to a point where they're so big they don't have to worry about anything else. Um, but yeah, it's always it's always a gamble. Um, no, no two fish are exactly the same. So, man, I think we're gonna uh, I think we're gonna wrap things up here tonight. Do you have any um, final thoughts you'd like to share with us before we were sign off on the live stream? No, just, you know, thank you. Thank you for, for having me and uh, for the opportunity to, to get to talk to you and your guests. Yeah, no, I think um, I think you guys are, are absolutely worth checking out. Like I said at the beginning of the show, it just seems like there's a, um, there's a dearth of quality um, online retailers to buy fish from. And, and I did kind of like, uh, you know, a lot of homework myself to find you guys. I had a great experience and I'm looking forward to, uh, to using you in the future. So I think... The whole quarantining, the, the comprehensive quarantining process is very, very important. And I know a lot of folks at home, like myself, don't have quarantine tanks set up for fish. So the fact that you can be comfortable ordering fish from you guys and not have to worry about that, to me, is a, um, is a big plus. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to grab them from anybody else on the Internet, yeah, at the very least, get them from somebody who's doing at least some type of quarantine in the meantime. Um, last thing you want to do is introduce velvet or, or crypt to your system or a bad case of uranema. All right, man. Well, Matt, thanks again for, uh, for being a guest on the show. I want to pass along my sincere thanks to you for taking the time for, uh, for being with us. And I also want to thank everybody for tuning in and, and uh, enjoyed the chat there. And if you have any other questions for, uh, for Matt, you could just drop them in the, uh, in the comments and I'm sure he'll be checking back in terms of the, uh, the live stream. I also want to thank Marine Depot for being the sponsor of the uh, and supporting the show. Please keep them in mind when you are shopping for your tank. So thanks again. And my next live stream will be next Thursday, April 15th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Scott Fellman. So a lot of you folks might remember Scott from his days at Unique Corals. Well, today he is at Tannin Aquatics doing some really cool things. So we're going to have him on the show next week and talk with him to see what he's up to. Anyway, until then, be safe out there, and uh, we'll see you next time. Later.